So while we uh, get this going smoothly, the last few weeks, Pastor Dean has been speaking about prayer. We had Roger Smets here. He was talking about being in the secret place. And Pastor Dean's messages have been called, Why Pray? Pray and Never Quit, and When You Pray. Today's message is called, Pining for God. Craving. Longing. Okay, so that's the sense of what we're going to talk about today. It's about prayer, but first, a story. There was a Christian lady who lived next door to an atheist, and she prayed on her porch, so the atheist heard her all the time, and he thought to himself, what a waste of time. Doesn't she know there's no God? There's no God. So she she didn't, didn't hinder her. She prayed, but he would go next door and actually harass her and say, Hey, yo, lady, don't you know you're wasting time? There's no God. You're just praying away. Well, she just kept on praying. One day she ran out of groceries, and as usual, she um, went out to the porch. She prayed to God, answered her prayers, and the atheist was listening still, and he said, hmm, I'll fix her. And he went out, he bought her this big bag of groceries, he went to her house, dropped it off on the porch, knocked and then dove into the nearest bush to hide to see how she'd react. And uh, she came out, she saw the groceries, she was praising and singing and just worshiping God, shouting hallelujah, hallelujah, and the atheist jumps out of the bushes and he says, yo crazy woman. God didn't buy those groceries. I bought those groceries. There is no God. And she broke out praising the Lord all the more. And as she was praising, the atheist heard her pray, Lord, I knew you were going to supply me groceries. I just didn't know you were going to make the devil pay for them. (laughs) This is a story about confidence. It's good to have confidence in the Lord, isn't it? So... We're going to talk this morning about another who has great confidence in the Lord. I want to share with you this morning one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 27. Now, I I invite you to stand because that's traditional here, Grapevine. And this is from the New International Version. And I am going to ask you, those of you who like to read along, because I love to read along, I'm going to ask you to read along Psalm 27 on the count of three. One, two, three. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, My heart will not fear. The war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble... He will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. 
Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle, I will shout with shouts of joy and will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful and answer, and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. The Lord will receive me. Teach me. And now I need to. Teach me your way, O Lord. Teach me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desires of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord. In the land of the living, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Thank you. Very good. Have a seat. David is the author of Psalm 27, and the occasion is uncertain. Uh, An ancient tradition assigns this to a time before David became king over all of Israel. Uh, Some modern scholars have given it or have suggested that the psalm comes from a time when his son Absalom rebelled against him and tried to take the kingdom for himself. The first thing that occurs in the psalm is David's expression of confidence in the Lord. Who is God to David? God is his light, his salvation, his stronghold. And who shall he fear? Of whom shall he be afraid? But by using those very words, David hints that he's in a heap of trouble. God is David's light. And light here, you're going to laugh, light here means light as opposed to darkness. But there is so much more. It actually includes favorable circumstances and relief from trouble and danger. He doesn't pray for favorable. He doesn't pray for relief, but he already professes God is that to him. God wants, I mean, David wants favorable circumstances. Who wouldn't? Who doesn't here? (laughs) I, I want it. Have you ever heard the expression, his face lit up? Well, the use of this word also speaks of the reason behind David's confidence, his happy countenance and his confidence in the Lord a face or eyes which beam with health and joy and um, peace. God is the reason behind David's confidence and happy countenance. God is David's light. The word salvation here that he's speaking of is a real physical salvation. God expects, I mean, David expects from God's salvation a protection that produces freedom from his present circumstances. And God is David's stronghold. Another word for stronghold is refuge. It's a place to go to be safe in a situation or um, dangerous type of situation. The words fear and afraid were very interesting. 
Um, you think you know what that means, but it's actually a state of feeling great distress and deep concern over a situation. That's fear. That We know what that means. But afraid shocked me. It's having an attitude or emotion of severe distress over impending danger with a focus that's so intense that you can't help but shake and tremble. I've been there before, haven't you? Then David shares his perception about what's going on in his life. He describes evil men approaching, drawing close, coming near to devour or destroy him, and he speaks of their expected attack, and he proclaims, I love this, that they themselves will fall, that stumble and fall. The words that he uses here gives us a sense that the enemies themselves will become out of control in the very situation that they're trying to pull against David. In other words, the hopes of David's enemies will backfire and they themselves will be caught in their own net. David says the words, though the army encamps. Imagine David being in his shoes. He's in a place. It's dark outside. He sees the campfires down below. He knows they're ready to attack. And yet he says, my heart will not fear my inner being, my inner self, this emotional part of me that is struggling and causing me to tremble will not fear. Is David a liar? No, he's not a liar. He's using a principle of proclaiming truth, God's protection into a situation that his eyes see differently. He, he continues his proclamations, his confidence in the Lord who he calls his Savior now. Though war break out, he says, even then he will be confident. What's this whole section about? Trusting in God. Having confidence in God having a reliance on God's faithfulness. Not once does he ask for the destruction of his enemies or to be lifted out of the situation. In spite of the situation, in spite of the feelings that not only David got, but we ourselves get, we know one thing. We can trust God. He is for us, and greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. Even in the overwhelming situations in which we can't help but be afraid and tremble sometimes, he is there. We can trust him. We can speak these truths into our situation of who God was in our past, who he is now, what he's done for us, What a great example and what great confessions in the midst of his trying, troubling situations. David asks for something. Listen to his heart's cry. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon his beauty and to seek him in his temple. One thing he wants, connection. 
you know, I hear one thing in that, and I remember another place where I heard or read the words one thing. It was in Luke 10. Martha's busy. Mary's at the feet of Jesus. And Martha comes to the Lord complaining, Lord, tell her to come help me. I got a lot of things going on out here. I got to cook your soup. I got to bake your bread. And he says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things. But only one thing is needed. Mary has chose the better, and it will not be taken away from her. One thing is needed, and one thing I ask of the Lord. David's asking and seeking talks about petitioning and possessing. What does he want? He wants to dwell in the house of the Lord. Dwell here is for any period of time, but it actually indicates a longer amount of time. And David backs it up with words, saying, all the days of my life. He wants to gaze upon God's beauty. Another thing he wants to do, or in other words, it's the character of God's kindness. He just wants to sit and look at the character of God's kindness, to meditate, to to consider God's kindness. He wants to direct his attention to God, and he wants to seek him. And seek here does not mean the same thing we just covered, um, that he wants to seek him in his temple. He He wants to meditate upon him. He wants to consider him. He wants to inspect God and examine him. And what's this section all about? It's about God's presence. David's, David longs desperately to be in God's presence. He deeply desires a connection. And David has expectations of God's presence. He has expectations of what God will do for him. He will keep him safe. God will keep him safe, he will hide him, and God will position him to have an advantage over his enemies. In God's presence, regardless of what's going on around us, we too can be kept safe, are hidden, and are set high upon our rock, Jesus. And we too can expect what David says next. Our heads will be exalted above the enemies that surround us. We can shout with joy and celebrate God's presence, his loving care of us with songs and with music. Have you ever heard of prayer retreats? Anybody? I see some heads, hands. Good. Prayer retreats are extended times of prayer. This is what I think of when I hear and read some of David's longings for the presence of God. Listen to this. I long to dwell in your tent and take refuge in the shelter of your wings. Oh God, I earnestly seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary place where there is no water. Later on, Just a few verses over, he says, Your 
love is better than life. As the deer pants for water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for the living God. When can I go and meet him? Do you feel that way sometimes? When can I go and meet him? You have made known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. My hope comes from him. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. Can you hear the longing, the yearning, hunger and the craving? I have a testimony God gave me a longing a few years back. And on the National Day of Prayer, I decided to do my first prayer retreat. Since then, I've been practicing prayer retreats regularly. But it was, they've become a special treasure to me. They've become a gift from God. And it wasn't something I did. It's like David. He gave me a longing It was a grace of hunger and a gift of the David-type longing that he just poured out into my life. And most often when I take prayer retreats, I actually feel like I'm doing them for very selfish reasons. I want to be in God's presence for God. I just want to be in his presence to simply... Enjoy him. In his presence, I experience him. I can allow him to speak to me. I wait on him. I'm transformed by him, and I rest in him. I used to call it holy luxury, because time is such a luxury, right? But now I call it holy necessity. My husband will testify If too much time goes between my prayer retreats, I get cranky. (laughs) He notices and has actually said, Honey, you need a prayer retreat. Please, go. What does God do in his presence? Many times he speaks to me about something that I'm meditating about. Sometimes I experience profound rest. Sometimes the Spirit leads me to what I feel like is urgent intercessory prayer. It's, it's like a violence. The Spirit wants to do something in the world, and he just moves me to it. It's, I can't explain it. I can't explain it. My words fall so short of what I'm trying to say here today. Anyway, I don't think that I've ever experienced the same thing twice. Except one thing. In God's presence, he keeps me safe. He shelters me. 
and he sets me high upon a rock. I'm always filled up. I'm built up, and I'm ready for what comes next. Now I realize what you may be thinking. You may be thinking, I have enough trouble finding time for any prayer in my life, and now this woman is talking about extended periods of time? Don't tune me out yet. First, I've got to put a plug in for the prayer room. You have a good opportunity. This is the praying church. And offered on, on Friday nights, Pastor Dean makes available what is called the prayer room. You can come. You don't have to be here at 6. There's a, you can walk in and walk out anytime you want. So it's kind of an according effect, 6 to 9, anytime you want. If there's a testimony that the last hour is the best, come the last hour. But no, that's available. It's called breakthrough prayer. But I'm, not, I'm certain that Pastor Dean wouldn't mind if you came here to worship God and to seek God just to be in God's presence. Amen. After all, isn't that when breakthrough happens? Amen. Amen. Secondly, some of you are very busy, and I do recognize you just can't get away to those types of things, can't make the time set aside. So recently, I've learned for busy people in life the concept of a life well-lived. It's also called practicing the presence of God. Have you ever heard of that? Practicing the presence of God? He's always with us, right? So... The principle is being with him throughout the day, throughout your work, at your studies, at your home, in your family. You simply keep turning your attention back to him and continually throughout the day and consciously do all things for his glory. There's no separation of like, this is my home life and now I'm going to be at church. You are in the presence of God fully every time. You make yourself keenly aware of God's presence. This is a life of extended prayer. This is a life of worship. I find myself focusing on God in the busy times by using a simple word to center my attention back on him. My word is welcome. It works like this. I'm doing life. I find that my, my mind has drifted off of him. And then I pull myself gently. You don't have to get down on yourself or anything. You pull yourself gently back to God by saying, welcome. It can be a breath of a prayer. Welcome. Or throughout your day, you're, you're doing something. You say, I welcome you to rule and to reign in my area of influence. I welcome you, Lord, to change my heart about this situation. I welcome you to work in so-and-so's life. I welcome you to just transform this situation. I welcome your peace. I welcome your love. And you just welcome him. You can use the word Jesus. You can use the word peace. You can use whatever word you want or a small phrase. The point is to bring yourself gently back to thinking about God. Now, this was a bunny trail, but it's an intentional bunny trail, and I will come back to it in a little bit. So we'll talk about this in a minute. To move on in the sections, the next section I find is called 
is um, David has a complaint. He takes it to God. While he's in God's presence, he states his case. Even in his complaint, he knows that the answer is in God's presence. I heard that this morning, that God, Jesus Christ, is the answer. And now the very kindness that he credited God with earlier, he asks God to manifest. David's own heart tells him to seek God's face, and his will and emotions follow with sure determination. Your face I will seek. The sense of this also includes a command. He's commanding himself to seek God. Some versions read that God is doing the inviting, and it's true. He does. We had a song this morning. He calls you by name. Oh, praise God. So the New American Standard Bible says, when you, God, said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I will seek. Imagine God calling you by name and saying, I want to hang out with you. Did you know that God wants to hang out with you? Barbara, he says, Barbara, I want to hang out with you. Geneva, I want to hang out with you. He says, God, Stu, I want to hang out with you. I like the New Living Translation of this one. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. My heart responds, Lord, I'm coming. I want to have a heart like that. Don't you? That response. One of my favorite quotes is by a man named Daniel Henderson, the author of Transforming Prayer. He says, worship-based prayer seeks the face of God before the hand of God. God's face is the essence of of who he is. God's hand is the blessing of what he does. God's face represents God's person and presence, and God's hand expresses his provision for needs in our lives. I have learned that if all we ever do is seek God's hand, we may miss his face. But if we seek his face, he will be glad to open his hand and satisfy the deepest desires of our heart. Do you think David knew this about God? Because when he brings these next requests to God, he still isn't calling for the destruction of his enemies or to be lifted from the circumstances. He seeks God's presence. Do not hide your face. Do not turn away in anger. Do not reject me or forsake me. Have you ever felt like God was hiding from you in your trouble or was angry with you? I think we've all been at a place like that. David knew the story where Moses told Joshua, he will never leave you nor forsake you. And then after Moses was gone and Joshua took the leadership, God himself said to 
Joshua, I will never leave you nor forsake you. David may have recalled that story, but we have a great advantage because Hebrews 13.5 explains that that's not just for Joshua. It's for us. It's the character of a God in covenant with his people. David knew about covenant, and yet he felt abandoned. What's this section all about? It's about seeking God's presence about being able to express your deepest desires, longings, your thoughts, your complaints, your emotions. David ends this section by proclaiming God as his Savior and that God will receive him. And we too, no matter how we feel, can know that God receives us as we seek him, as we seek his presence and as we grow in the David-like surrender and devotion to him. The last section I call conclusion, but it's not my conclusion. It's David's conclusion in this, so don't, don't be getting ready to hit the door. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, David gets to specific requests. This and what follows is the conclusion of his heart's desire. Teach me your ways. Lead me in a straight path. And finally, do not let my foes prevail. He adds a little something about his foes, finally. But he ends on the same note that he began with his confidence, his faith in God as he says, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Then he commands himself to wait for the Lord, to be strong, to take heart, and again, to wait for the Lord. The word wait here means to look forward to, to hope with certainty for, it's a faith word. The hardest and most re- <clears throat> what happened. The hardest and most rewarding parts of prayer is waiting. In the midst of trying situations, of feeling fear, of trembling, of expectations of enemies and attack and war breaking out, of not feeling God's presence or favor. David still waits. He commands himself to wait. He looks forward to what God is going to do for him. The God in whom he is confident. Remembering what God has done in the past, up to this point in his life, David waits. We too must wait with confidence, no matter what the circumstance remembering that God sent his son to die for our sins so that we who were dead might live for God. Why did he do that? Because he loves us. He proved his love once and for all. Listen to Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, 
how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? I encourage you to see your every trying circumstance with the cross as a backdrop. See the storms of your life, but look past that to the cross, to the Lord's suffering, to the Lord's sacrifice, and to God's love for us that motivated the giving of his son. For if God is for us, who can be against us? And we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So we talked about confidence and the confidence that David had because of what the Lord had done in his past and that he prayed in such a way as to proclaim what God has done for him and who God is in his life. This is a very positive and encouraging way that we can all take home this week and pray. David deeply desired a connection with God. He hungered for it. He sought after it. He gave us a sense of wanting to possess God's presence. He was so passionate. He knew and we know that the answers of life's problems are found in God's presence. Even in his complaint, David longed for God's presence to be poured out on his heart. And he poured, it, he poured himself out before God, who already knew what he was going through. But David never really did ask for the destruction of his enemies or to be removed from his troubles. But rather, he wanted God. He so wanted God that when he didn't feel God, he became concerned about that and prayed about that. Finally, David came to his conclusion, which was to ask God to teach him his ways, to lead him in a straight path, and to not let his enemies prevail. Father, oh, how I want this people, your word to be to sink deep into the good soil of their heart that it grows up, the seeds just burst forth and bear fruit for your glory. I want them to be able to see their trials with the cross in the background as a backdrop and never forget the suffering that you have done for us. I want us all to take home this week that positive way to pray, to proclaim who you are and what you've done in our lives. You have been my helper. So I pray as I conclude this. But I believe you want to do something today, Lord. Many of you will take home this week the backdrop. You will now see your every storm or trial or valley, and you will see the cross in the background of that. Many of you will take home a positive way to pray. I remember the time you did this for me, Lord. You are my redeemer. 
I remember the time you did this for me, Lord. You are my helper. Many of you out there right now, you feel this craving for God. You feel a deep longing for the presence of God. But there are some here today that said, Oh, I wish I felt that kind of longing. Now I go back to my bunny trail. The Lord told you, I told you about that incident in my life to tell you that he's poured out that longing into me. It wasn't anything I did. It was a gift. And I have so much bubbling up out of me like a fountain. And God says to whoever said today, I wish I had that kind of longing, that you will get it today. So I want you to take a step of faith and step out. Come and let me pray because this fountain is overflowing today. And God wants to give you a longing. He wants to pour out on you this longing. So as you're coming forward for this prayer, I say to the rest of you, go in peace and love the Lord with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all your mind and strength by loving your neighbor. All right? So anybody who wants that prayer, come forward.